You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group. www.americantheatre.org uh, Good afternoon and welcome to Off Script. It's February 11th, 2022. I'm Rob Weiner-Kent, uh, Editor-in-Chief of American Theatre, and this is our podcast on all things theatrical. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I'm coming to you from the land of the Maspeth and Rockaway in Queens. Uh, behind me is uh, is another place, and I'll tell you about that in a second. I'm here with Amelia. Hi, I'm Amelia Merrill. Happy Friday. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I'm coming to you from the land of the Lenape in Manhattan. And that is also where my background is. It's New York Theater Workshop, one of my favorite spaces in New York, or pretty much anywhere. And uh, we're really fortunate today to have with us Jim Nicola, James Nicola, officially, uh, the uh, outgoing, in many senses, uh, artistic director. He's been there for 34 years. He's going to end his, his reign there in uh, June. Um, we're really excited to talk to him in about 10 minutes about his uh, wonderful legacy there, <clears throat> some of the artists and plays that have gone through his theater, and also what, what's in store for the field, because um, he's... He's been on the front lines for so long. Um, it's great to talk to you about that. Um, so we've had an eventful couple of weeks at American Theater since our last off script. Wanted to give you a brief tour of some of the things we've been writing about. Um, in the past few weeks, uh, in the past week, I think actually, we have two wonderful profiles of uh, new plays by authors um, out in the country. So one is Josh Wilder, Philly playwright, who wrote uh, a play about the Flint water crisis, which is having its premiere right now at Flint Repertory Theater in Michigan. Um, and that is a beautiful report. I, I highly recommend reading it um, in which, you know, not every play can or should do this, but this one is literally telling the story of the people in the audience to them, reflecting their lives and it's getting a great response. So um, that's an exciting piece. Um, the other one is Bofield Berry, who's been sort of on my radar for a while. She's a playwright based in Omaha. And um, we actually sent her to cover the Great Plains Theater Conference. She wrote about it for us about mm, seven years ago, I think 2015. So she's always sort of been on our radar, and I knew that she was making plays. And we have a wonderful writer in um, Nebraska who's, who's written for a couple pieces of us named Leo, Leo Biga, Biga. I actually don't know how to pronounce his name. But he wrote a piece about her new play, which is going to, uh, in the upper room, which is going to uh, open at Denver Center Theater, I think, next week. Um, it's a fascinating family play. She's a youngish person who, you know, wrote a lot of plays about a lot of different things and then realized, I'm going to write my family play now. And she really talks about how she felt like her family was with her, even those who aren't actually with her, with her with, in the world, uh, as, she, as she wrote the play. And uh, she also has another play coming up at Omaha's Blue Barn Theater, a workshop of Buffalo Women, which is a musical. Um, so exciting pieces about those two artists. Um, we also had a couple book reviews slash excerpts. Amelia, you want to tell us about those? Yeah, we've had quite a few uh, pieces about new books out there recently. Um, we had a pretty exciting excerpt from Isaac Butler's very buzzed about new book about the method and method acting, which is of course on the history of the method and its practitioners and their experiences in Russia and how that all came to shape what is now a quintessential American acting system, uh, especially uh, in, in the book, especially in film and that culture. Uh, and then of course it was great kismet to run alongside with that excerpt of review by Wendy Smith, who wrote a book about the group theater, real life drama. And of course the group was founded by those folks who had trained at Moscow Art Theater to teach the method in the US and help it grow. And then that went along with another book review that we just had by Lisa Jo Segola, who reviewed two new books about dance on Broadway, Making Broadway Dance by Liza Gennaro and Everything is Choreography, the musical theater of Tommy Toon about the iconic Tommy Toon and also his work as a director uh, by Kevin Winkler. So it was exciting to have a lot of new book pieces in the works, lots of new reading material. Yeah, that's one of our, one of our beats we try to stay on. There's lots of, lots of, lots of books coming out all the time. Um, 
Let's see. We also had a couple of another one of the things that we cover is we we commemorate those who have passed and had a big impact on the field. We had two lovely pieces about two passings in the past couple of weeks. Um, one was Richard Christensen, a Chicago Tribune theater critic who was in the right place at the right time and was the right person uh, to cover um, a burgeoning theater scene in Chicago, including the famous basement theater uh, in, I think it was Evanston. I might have the neighborhood wrong. Um, Steppenwolf uh, Theater Company. Um, and uh, he, he, you know, he, he in some ways put Chicago on the map nationally, but I think what he did, especially, and it, uh, we have a wonderful piece by Jeffrey Sweet, who was a playwright there, uh, who had a lot of, he's based here in New York, but he had a lot of his work done in Chicago, um, was that Richard really created a local audience that was, you know, and uh, that was proud of the work that turned up to see the work and, and a sense that you could make your, make theater there that mattered to Chicago in Chicago. Um, and then of course that rippled out to, uh, to the Chicago scene that we know today. Um, so, and a critic, you could argue had a huge impact in a way that's not just up or down votes on what's on Broadway. You know, he really helped create a scene there, um, by reflecting it. And that's, I think one of the highest, highest aims of criticism. Um, and then Joan Shirley, who's one of the founders of Del Arte International, a physical theater company out in uh, Blue Lake, California, the, in the Northern California. I've never met Joan, but she's a name that's bandied about a lot. And uh, she passed and we had a wonderful um, commemoration from, from colleagues and friends about her impact. And she sounded like a really fun, interesting lady to, to know. We, I found a video, I was trying to figure out to make sure we were pronouncing her name correctly. And if you go to the, uh, to the memorial tribute we have, I embedded the video she did for TCG about 10 years ago. We did a series, had theater makers do uh, these short videos saying, I am theater and talking about what their connection to theater was and what theater was about for them. And hers is especially good. I have, highly recommend looking at that within the memorial tribute. Um, let's see, Amelia wrote another piece for us, just, just went up today. Minutes yes, ago. it just got up today. I was privileged to get to talk to some folks at IRT, a theater here in Manhattan, about the work that they do with their ASL creative program. And they have a lot of programming, really vast programming for deaf artists and hard of hearing artists, as well as an educational programming arm that pairs um, hearing and deaf students with deaf teachers and hard of hearing teachers. So they're doing a lot of really interesting work. And we got to have a pretty, what I felt was an honest conversation about, you know, what is the difference between an institution saying that they're committing to doing the work of, you know, incorporating disability justice frameworks into your programming and your, your operations. What is that conversation versus the actual work? that's actually happening to move forward. It's a conversation that I think the field has been having in regards to various topics for the past two years, if not longer. And <laughs> um, I, you know, we had some uh, interesting conversations from the director of a new piece um, called Trash, which is going into workshop this weekend. Um, the director, Michelle Banks, was talking a lot about how we can collaborate between um, disability theaters and sort of mainstream theaters without ignoring the work, the pretty vast body of work that's already in existence from deaf and disabled artists. So some really interesting stuff going on at IRT. Yeah, I'm glad we're, we're on that beat and we've certainly covered a, a lot of things, uh, a lot of disability theater and theater for marginalized communities. And I do think there's a danger or a, a common theme that we hear a lot, especially is like as if the conversation is just starting over every time, mm -hmm. like a reinventing the wheel. Right. There's, a, there's a body of work uh, in all these fields and, and, and talented people. And uh, it's not a new conversation, but you know, people come at different times and people have need, some people need to be brought in and onboarded to the, to the conversation. But hopefully that's what part of what we're doing is reflecting yeah. that there's an ongoing conversation. Um, we had a piece uh, that came out right after, I think uh, our last off script, which is, was uh, a piece about a little bit about how theater architecture it was written by two theater architects um one from a, a place called marvel not to be confused with the comic book empire but uh and and charcoal blue talking about the ways different theaters from theater squared um 
to a couple other theaters how they the past couple of years the challenges of the past couple of years both from covid and the racial reckoning had made them think differently about how they're using their space um and it you know and challenging them and oh the other one was uh, st anne's warehouse was another one that they that they cited um so that seems like a decent segue to talk about one again the space behind me one of my favorite spaces and a space that's been configured many different ways over the times I've, I've seen there. Mostly it's been in this kind of configuration, but I've seen it a lot of different ways. Um, and I'd like to invite uh, Artistic Director Jim Nicola on to talk about his time at New York Theatre Workshop. Um, he started there in 1988, if I have that right, and uh, nurtured many, uh, you know, major playwrights and productions that went on to uh, success both on Broadway and regionally and around the world. Jim, it's great to have you with us today. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, we were talking a little bit before the before we went on today about how things are right now. You're about to open on Sugarland, Alicia Harris's new play. And it's a big play. Mm -hmm. um, um, and the, would you say this season that you're 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 going out with with a bang? Big big plays, big ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's certainly the bang element for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, this is this is uh, on Sugarland is maybe you know in in a for a theater company that that um, likes to challenge itself. Yeah. Um, this is maybe one of the biggest in terms of resource resource not so much although certainly in dollars, but human resource, spatial resource mm -hmm. of all kinds, um, massive, massive. The play, the play itself is, um, um, well, you know, our, our, our theater folk, our reference is often Shakespeare, but uh, it is a, 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 a 14 person cast. So it is epic. It's not a musical, right. although there's music in it and yeah. some singing, but, um, it also has multiple narratives and um, heightened language and poetry and images that I think, um, I was talking to a friend about it the other day. I, I, they're like King Lear, Hamlet, are plays that I have seen many times. And I don't think I've ever seen the definitive perfect production of either mm -hmm. of those plays. And I think probably for 500 years and probably at least another 500, there will be theater folk challenging, tackling those plays and pursuing something about them. And this is a, on Sugarland is in that realm. It is a play mm. that will never fully realize itself because it's too vast yeah. and there will be takes on the play. There will be visions of the play from people like Whitney White, who's doing an amazing yeah. job like that. Wow, that's exciting. You got me even more excited about it. I was already excited. <laughs> um, I wanted to just roll back the clock a little bit um, and ask you as you're, you're, you're ending your time there in June, um, going back to 80, the late 80s, what was the status of New York Theatre Workshop then? What was it like then? What, what, and what, what were your expectations coming into that? And what do you think mm. the expectations were of you mm. from the board that hired you? If you can think back to that time. Yeah, well, uh, it's a, it is indeed a lifetime ago. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we were in a different space. We were at the Perry Street Theater. We were renting partial seasons there. Um, the budget, I think, the operating budget was something like four hundred thousand a year, um, and now we're seven million a year. So, uh, you know, a good chunk of that is inflation, but it's grown, uh, and we have our own space, which is. What behind you? Um, I, what what was really exciting to me in 1988, if you can cast some some of you have not were not alive then, but if you if those that us that were cast our minds back to then, what excited me about coming to New York Theatre Workshop was uh, it was equally committed to directors and writers. So it wasn't just about new writing. It wasn't just about uh, centering the playwright. It was equally about the director. And uh, in 1988, 
I don't know that there was, I can't, I, I would love someone to correct me on this, but I don't think there was another, um, any kind of institutional support of the role of the director in theater mm. practice at that time. There were certainly things like the O'Neill um, and New Dramatists. There were, there were entity, and, and most uh, theaters had places for uh, new writing and new writers, um, but nothing for directors in that organized way. There wasn't a Lincoln Center Lab at that point, probably? Nope. 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 Okay. Nope. 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 Yeah, that is a through line that I've noticed, and I wanted to ask you, related to that, um, it just strikes me, I'm just suddenly thinking about the name, the work, the name Workshop is in there. Yes. And you just alluded to On Sugarland never quite finding its feet. Not, not right. that there's anything wrong with the play, but is does the workshop ethos, is that, the, the bigger question I want to ask is what makes a New York Theater Workshop show? Like, is, is there one thing you can say? It sounds like the fact that it's a workshop, that, that it's, we're working on it, it's, it's, in, it's in a form. It's maybe not the final form. Is, is right. that part of the idea? Well, I think... Uh, I, I, that was also very appealing to me that the mm -hmm. theater was organized and called that. Um, and I have to give credit and shout out and admiration to uh, Stephen Graham, our founder, mm -hmm. and uh, the artistic director that preceded me, Jean Passanante, because they're the ones that really conceived the values and uh, artistic impulses. And I came along and felt like, those are really exciting and I will devote the rest of my life. Well, I didn't know this at the time, but I will, uh, <laughs> the next chunk of my life, I will be devoted to uh, figuring out what that means for me in, in the role that I play. So right. yes, I think workshop is critical. I love the idea of a workshop. I love that uh, <laughs> when you come to East 4th Street and you're in that lobby, um, as an audience member, probably not conscious, well, maybe consciously, um, you're not feeling like you're in the lobby of the public theater or uh, the Metropolitan Opera in a, in, a, in, a, in a wonderful, beautiful space. You're in kind of a, <laughs> um, I'm not going to use the word that you know who used, but um, it's not a glamorous spot. And uh, that when you walk through those doors, you come into a space that you never, you're always surprised by. And that the workshop aspect is that uh, all of us, the artists and the community that come there are here to work together. You know, that we are working on ourselves. We are bettering ourselves. We're, we're trying to make, um, find light in the darkness to mm -hmm. um, be fed, to be challenged, to be amused. Uh, you know, I, I'm feeling lately, uh, one of our one of the challenges we always give our have to address in our thinking and working here, the artistic staff particularly, um, is life is joyful, life is funny, life is fun, and that it's not a wrong thing to enjoy yourself in the theater. Where, where I think we often get a little bit of a finger wag in our um, our work. So um, yes, it is a workshop. It is a place to work. We've also interpreted that, or I did, as uh, you know, that it's a theater and a workshop. So yeah. Okay. On the theater side, we're really attending. The first priority is the need of an of a community of a congregation, so to speak, mm -hmm. yeah. um, to be in the presence of um, voices of artists to, and for them to walk out the door feeling like it was worth the time and money. The workshop side of things, the first priority is the need of the artists to not only um, work on themselves and grow and prosper, but also work on their the material that they might want to bring to it. So um, another thing that was distinctive that I loved at the, when I came to the workshop was that it wasn't just about um, emerging artists. Mm -hmm. It felt it made a commitment specifically. And, and you know, like, when do you stop being an emerging artist, actually? I think you can argue that artists are always emerging till the till they die, and even then they're emerging to a different plane of of existence. But um, the the care and feeding of artists at all levels of inquiry and, and chronological age is really important, and 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 this was a this was a theater that was recognizing that, and I'm sorry I'm so long winded here. No, um, no, please. <laughs> uh, that there was a great benefit for um, multi generations colliding in the mm -hmm. in the process of working together and making and realizing their work and labor. Mm -hmm.
that they had something to offer to each other. So all of those things. I, I just, I love the idea of a workshop and a theater. Yeah, well, it's both those things. Amelia, you wanted to ask a yeah, retrospective. I yeah, that idea too of sort of New York theater and workshop. And mm -hmm. I, I think you know, <laughs> you've, you've certainly been at the helm of so many iconic productions that not only we think of when we think of the history of New York Theater Workshop, but just sort of the history of, of modern off-Broadway theater productions that have gone on to live in other spaces or other forms, things that are sort of at that intersection of experimental and, and commercial. And I mean, we mm -hmm. could certainly give you a list here, but I'm, <laughs> I'm curious about sort of your thoughts on the sort of greatest hits of your tenure, what <laughs> comes to mind, both the people you've had um, the opportunity to work with in the productions that have gone up. Uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a challenge right there. Certainly. Um, well, you know, I I guess you're you're content. You're seeing me contend with one of my personal issues, which is where does a where does a story begin? Um, and and for me, it's always like, oh, but if we go back a little further, it'll be real more interesting. But so anyway. Uh, <laughs> In that respect, uh, as a you know, growing up in Eisenhower, America, as a little little gay boy, um, theater is what saved my life. It made my life possible, and it it occupied the space of what for other lives is probably uh, some sort of religious or spiritual place. Um, you know, a place to congregate mm -hmm. and a place to contemplate and um, and um, make your sense of yourself in the world and the spiritual world as well. So, and, and then I think it was a little while longer uh, before I really understood that it was the artists largely that filled that space that were what I was really um, uh, thriving on. And um, so I, I think I've also in the course of my life had the incredible good fortune to uh, have been experienced, lived in different kinds of theaters. You know, I, um, when I was in school, I did a junior year abroad in London and I stayed for a year past my junior year and worked at the Young Vic um, and the Royal Court. Um, and then I came to New York and I worked at TCG. That was my first theater job, actually. Um, then I got to work uh, house manager of the Fantastic. So I was in the sort of commercial realm. And um, then I went to the public theater, the New York Shakespeare Festival. And then I went to Arena Stage. Uh, mm -hmm. And I had grown up with Hartford Stage. That's my, my I watched that being born. So, uh, and you know, little gay boys in the 50s loved musicals. So uh, I, I felt like whatever happened in a performance space, um, that was the way I could encounter all of history, all of the planet, all civilizations was from a theater seat. Um, and I could be in the most terrifying, dangerous circumstances and still be physically safe. Mm -hmm. I could go anywhere to anything. It was, it's a magical place. So, um, and it, it always it makes me feel sad when I feel a theater narrows itself to like we do this kind of work or mm. not, not, not that, that I don't think that's, if that's not an argument against being focused or having a mission, but, um, I, and I, I have to say one of the things I'm most grateful for is the board at New York Theater Workshop that allowed me to sort of follow my curiosity um, and make it up as I went along. Cause certainly when I started in 88, I had not had an MFA in artistic direction or artistic leadership <laughs> or any experience other than being around some pretty amazing practitioners. And I could learn from being around them, but I made it up as I went along and they, and the board sustained me even when I went off the rails, they didn't fire me. <laughs> they, they kind of kept going. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel it was, uh, it was a, an evolving, circumstance. Um, one of the things to try to get back to Amelia's question, <laughs> uh, a big focus of my work, I'm not sure, but something that I'm 
look back on with some degree of um, satisfaction is uh, not necessarily one artist, but that we were able to um, bring the world to East 4th Street. Um, that it was not just new American work. Uh, it was also work from wherever we happened to be able to find excitement or challenge or interest. Um, and that sort of um, engagement, uh, I, I think I really believe that, that uh, in the course of my lifetime, places like BAM started to really, there were of course other amazing organizations, but BAM comes to mind, um, presenting the work of international artists and companies and those made big impacts. Um, you know, just for a moment thinking of Peter Brook. Um, but uh, the problem I always felt there was the artists, those artists came and they showed us their work and, and then they were gone. There was no, what we, what we were doing here was trying to get a Peter Brook to be in conversation with artists that were in the midst of making here and how did they impact each other? So. It was almost the image I've had in my life is like you have this beautiful garden and in the middle of it is this beautiful marble table and there's a beautiful bouquet of flowers on that table that's not from this garden. And when that bouquet dies, those seeds do not go into this, do not meld with the seeds or plants in this garden, they just go away and they're gone forever. And I think what we were trying to do was to make that center table have everybody, you know, put all the flowers together. <laughs> Um, to make make everybody's work better and to make right. the conversation for the audience better. So that's the long answer, Amelia, is that I, I feel <laughs> the international, the global mm -hmm. is a big, and that also I, I hope is not seen as a, a lack of interest or engagement with American artists and voices, at, not at all. It was no. actually just a, um partly nobody was really nobody not much of that was going on in american theater actually so it was partly so what, a, an idea of being different of finding a place it seems like what you're what you're talking about then is the, just let's just pick Ivo van Hove's example because that's a he's right. a, a dutch belgian director who you know uh was put on the map in uh, large part because of the productions at new york theater workshop you're saying it wasn't that he brought over his production from the tony Lo Group. It was more, you brought him over and he worked with American artists and there was a cross-pollination that happened. Yes. And he stayed and he had, yes. he had a place to do to do work here, not just bring work here. Is that yes. the idea? Yes, Yeah. absolutely. Although the first, the first project that we engaged with, uh, we were trying to do an original, something that he conceived here, but his, I think probably wisely, he, he felt like his English wasn't so he wasn't so confident in English and that perhaps right. the task of conceiving a project with American actors was more than he wanted to, chew, to bite off uh, okay. artistically. So right. we did uh, a project uh, in the O'Neill that he, uh, more stately mansions, that he had done, right. yeah. but reinvented. But then we went from there to two different things. And then there was the bathtub streetcar. That was, that was the one That's that, correct. that we all read about. <laughs> yep, yep. So I don't want to dwell on it too much. I mean, it feels like there's a lot of different eras that you could, that you could, and threads you could go through and through the history of your theater workshop. But I just want to ask, do you feel like in your tenure, there was a time before rent and there was a time after, do you think rent was a huge pivot for New York theater workshop in a yes. good and bad ways? Yes. No yeah. question of it. <laughs> no question of it. Um, um, I, I think, you know, in a, in a practical institutional institution building sense um we bought we moved into that space in um 92 mm -hmm. um and we actually through the there was a sort of downturn in the real estate market so that building was available and because of the, the incredible generosity and foresight of our board we were able to pay cash for the building because it was so low it was such a small amount so we grabbed it and we owned that space debt free and then in 95 
the building next door that I'm sitting in right now, uh, which is our offices and rehearsal space and small theater, uh, also came on the market and we we grabbed that, but we had then had a mortgage on that. Okay. With the rent royalties, we paid off this mortgage. Okay. And we were significantly able to uh, enhance the resource we had available for artists to work with. So in that very hardcore practical way of dollars and cents, uh, it changed everything it it got us the spaces it got uh and, and the thing i like the most about all of that is that the work of an artist jonathan and michael Reif and all of those artists um who made that piece made it possible for their colleagues to to do work um and so we we grew because the artists let us grow and right. that has always been true for us that the growth has been mostly from from the work of the artists. So I'm wondering, of course, the inevitable question um, is about whether that put it on the put New York Theatre Workshop on the map in the sense that this is the place where producers were looking for their tryout place, and and whether you had to then balance different interests as an artistic director. I'm sure you always have to do that, right? Yeah. But that there was this new interest, which is like, okay, this show wants to. I mean, I would say just critically, subjectively. There was the the musicals and other shows that started at New York Theatre Work, the Workshop. It felt like felt like New York Theatre Workshop shows. They didn't feel like a cynical money grab. Like, okay, we're just going to try this out. But I I wondered that would that commercial that nonprofit commercial consideration became part of your menu of options for each season. Uh, there's a lot to say about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first in terms of the uh, the the perception um, amongst um, in, within the field, uh, you know, artists, producers. Um, what I became aware of is uh, that whatever show, whatever production we had, most recently that had made some noise, was what people thought we were. Mm, yeah. So early on. Um, we did a play of Apple Fugard and people thought, oh, they do that sort of thing. Then mm -hmm. with say Claudia Shear and Dirty Blonde, oh, they do solo work. Um, and then read, oh, they do musicals and, and <laughs> oh, they do political plays or, you know, that we've always been, most recently someone said to me that we're the theater that does uh, folk rock musicals. Um, <laughs> Um, so we do get thought of, we were identified and I actually like that it keeps shifting and that I sure. like and that people don't know what quite that they thought we were this and now we're that. I like that. I think that's really healthy. Um, yeah. as to the realities of, um, uh, what, what, a, what a commercial transfer will bring. Like I said, with rent, it really changed the equation for us institutionally. And that continues to be true. It's not just true of New York Theater Workshop. It's true of all the theaters in New York, I would say. And even just the re some of the theaters outside of New York are contending with this. But I feel like within embedded within that is we be, we've worked, we're becoming more and more and more reliant on enhancement money. Um, and I, there's nothing inherently wrong with that because there's many partnerships with um, enhancing producers that I, I value. They're wonderful collaborators. Um, right. But I, what I worry about is that um, if on Sugarland walked in the door, which is not an obvious Broadway success, mm -hmm. if it didn't have a, a visionary producer willing to enhance it for us, it wouldn't get done. Right. So the, the things of scale that are happening are because there's somebody who sees that angle to it. Whereas mm. if we just came up with, it would be a great idea to redo and adapt Major Barber by George Bernard Shaw. Um, no, 
it wouldn't happen. Well, maybe right. if it had a big star in it, you know, I mean, yeah. this is not healthy. <laughs> this is not healthy. And I'm going a little bit on a soapbox here, but I feel uh, one of the things that we, and this is probably the, because I'm leaving the field, but, uh, uh, or playing this role at least, uh, um, that we haven't in the in this moment of disruption that we've we've had this racial reckoning a pandemic that the conversations haven't gotten to where are we with public funding of the arts mm -hmm. like that is going to change everything if we're not we you know we don't like 10 out of 12s we don't like six day work weeks well those are because a theater like your theater workshop has persisted in a capitalist environment mm -hmm. and and has done just a sequence of compromises that's all it is mm -hmm. it's a yeah. sequence a sequence of compromises with available resource and if right. we want to change that the best and most reliable way is first not to have to but we we have the option to but not that we are reliant on that okay. kind of resource to put to prevail well yeah it's a big topic um yeah, yes <laughs> yes but I, I you know just off topic a little bit but i feel yeah. like this this the deeper levels like where a lot of our public discourse not related to the arts and arts funding but just in general i feel in the face of this catastrophe has been about symptoms mm -hmm. and about you know symptomatic behavior and we are yeah. it feels almost purposeful that we're not going to like the deeper uh, fundamental things that would really change like public health, healthcare, yeah. free education. Those things would transform our lives and it wouldn't be, to, you know, we wouldn't be looking to little entities like New York Theater Workshop to solve <laughs> huge problems. They're not gonna, yeah, yeah so anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think Michael Art, there's a great interview Michael R. Jackson did with Liliana Blaine Cruz where he talks specifically about that. I think you probably saw it. It was uh, yeah. the problems that are in the theater, they are real problems in the theater field and theater industry, but they're they're part of a larger problem, like the lack of universal health care and mm -hmm. funding, yes. and, you know, yes. and that uh, we should organize within the theaters and, and fight for the, you know, the best, fairest okay. world we can have. But, you know, it's not a but, it's just, and we need to fight outside. Yes, 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 um, yes. Yes. Um, so, Amelia, you had a question that was picking up on an earlier theme, I think. Yeah, to circle circle back a little bit, you know, we've been talking about um, the sort of global theater community that New York Theater Workshop has been part of. And of course, as an artistic director, you've had, you know, your finger on the pulse of emerging talent and sort of however you want to define emerging talent. And New York Theater Workshop has a pretty robust system of um, programs and fellowships for emerging and mid-career artists, again, however you want to, you know, mark that, that line of demarcation. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm wondering how much of your job, you know, sort of at this point in your career, after all this time involves you going out into the field to sort of find those emerging artists versus tapping into the community that New York Theatre Workshop has already established people coming to you. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, the, in this last year, when it's been clear that there's an end point to my involvement here, mm -hmm. um, it's been interesting how I hadn't anticipated how that would um, affect my theater going or my seeing and meeting um, that I, I can suddenly feel like, oh, well, that might take place after I'm not here playing my role, <laughs> um, anything that might come of it. So. Uh, However, um, you know, there aren't enough nights in the week for me to go and see work and to uh, read plays and um, have conversations. Um, I, I think something that has landed for me in all of this, uh, look, not so much that it was conscious and more about being able to look back on patterns and see patterns um, that, uh, It's important for um, makers to seek out partners, collaborators that they feel are 
the right ones. Um, I know if you're particularly if you're on the emerging end of things, whatever that means, um, if a theater like New York Theater Workshop expresses any interest or whatever, there's an impulse to like, oh my God, I've got to take this opportunity. But it's really important for that emerging artist, writer, director, designer, whatever, to remember that they are empowered in this circumstance too. And New York Theater Workshop might not be the right collaborating partner. Doesn't mean they won't, but it might not be the right one. So uh, from my perspective, um, somebody like with Carol Churchill or Evo or uh, Tony Kushner, just, uh, who we've had a long-term relationship with as well. Um, those are people I feel in, in a sort of um, um, instinctual way are people I can be in a collaboration with, that I can be of use to. I, I feel like I can, I don't know whether they think so, but I feel like I can be helpful. Or maybe more truthfully, I feel like I want to be helpful in a deeper way. Um, so there's a sense of, uh, there's a lot of fantastic art artists at work, but what are the ones that are gonna be on our stage and in our midst and our community? Um, I think there has to be that element of a, of a sort of a personal engagement that um, can't, can't be defining and narrowing or like exclusionary in a bad way, but, but also, you know, is specific. Right. Right. Especially considering the many, you know, similar offerings of fellowships and training, learning opportunities. Just yes. 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 As we're as we're populating those opportunities, and you know, there's unfortunately so many more people who want to do them than we have space to offer. Um, I I do feel at the at the last kind of moment of consideration of all of that. I do think a lot about like, is this someone that I'm going to be useful to? I'm going to be able to be helpful to? Am I the right person? Because maybe I'm not. Maybe there's some other artistic leader that's going to be a better person for them. Um, and not not to let that be the final decision, but let that be a part of how, if we go this way, for me to be thinking about how I might play a role in this fellowship or whatever. I know that you, there's, ERS has worked a number of times in newer theater, and I, yep. I, I should know better the names for the different programs that you have in terms of, but there are core artists, or I forget the term you use, inst, there was instigators there, this past year, but yeah, usual, there was core usual artists. Usual suspects, there's the usual, usual suspects. suspects, sorry, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, and you created that, is that, that mostly with companies, like other small companies, or with individual artists, or we, is it with variety? We made usual suspects out of, uh, um, you know, this, this notion that um, continuing relationships are better mm -hmm. than the, you know, that and that just was out of my own in experience of that the second, third, fourth time we worked together, it got better. And the starting point was different. And, and that was something I learned when I went to Arena Stage in 1980 from the public theater before mm -hmm. that, and, and suddenly realized, oh, the first day of rehearsal with an acting company who've been together for 10 to 15 years, starts so far down the road, as opposed to what I was used to, which was a casting process. The first day of rehearsal, everyone's meeting, but maybe not everybody, but mostly they're meeting for the first time. Right, right. And, and that sense of continuing relationships, really important. So the community came out of that. Um, there's also within that was, um, the notion that we had been thinking about actor that directors were just as important to bring into the center as as writers but mm -hmm. as we proceeded we realized you know what the starting point may not be a director or a playwright it might be a collective mm -hmm. and there were okay. enough things like mabu mines and the worcester group and ers who were yeah. sort of descendants of the of worcester group around us to make us really keenly aware of that so we made a sort of program called uh, Companies in Residence mm -hmm. to, to make space, uh, to, to make a commitment to the idea that there is something other than a writer or a director who are instigating and giving birth to a project. Okay. So now we have just uh, upgraded that to include uh, the Dominican Arts Collective, 
um, nor continues. Um, oh, uh, uh, Jag Productions up in Vermont, uh, mm -hmm. Jarvis Greens. That will be our first non-New York residency. So we'll see how that goes. But that's a you know, I love Jarvis, um, and I love what he's up to up there. And you know, we have our ongoing relationship with Dartmouth up in the Upper Valley where he is working. So there's a connection there. Um, there's one more that I'm leaving out. Jag, DAC, Newer. I'll think of it. Anyway, that's a very important part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a Facebook comment I was going to ask you about. It's more of a comment than a question, but I think it could be a question. Um, someone says on Facebook, uh, Jim, I've heard you frame the New York Theater Workshop in terms of public performances being only 30 to 40% of the work. They don't, they don't follow up to say what that means, but is that something you've said before? And, and, and what's the rest of the work? If, if, uh, well, it's the workshop side of things. It's the support right, okay. of community and artists. And, and um, you know, I think um, with the George Floyd moment, mm -hmm. and we had, uh, you know, a lot of activity in the streets here, and we, did, we were one of the first theaters to do the open lobbies thing. I think that was sort of a recognition of, of um, a new way to, and, and we've kind of always done that. We, with elections, we've, we've been a place to register voters, mm -hmm. um, but that we could be a community organization, not just to people who want to sit in the space and watch voice of artists, that there could be other things we could do. So right. yes, that is, that is uh, the, the, the public facing, is a, probably less sort of resource and of time and money than the other part of it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem to it would speak that the work to put up a show, you've only seen a part of it, the tip of the iceberg, yes. right? You know, the, it's yeah. a huge, it's a huge effort. And yeah. staff. We, we also do a thing called Casebook, which is uh, we pick one production a year and, and we have a class, quote unquote, for 10 weeks that follows the making of that piece. Okay. Um, and the core, uh, uh, the thing that they always say at the end of it, the, the people in the, in the class is that they will never sit in a theater again and not think about the hundreds of people that mm. are not on the stage in front of them that have collaborated and put their life's blood and passion into mm. this right, thing. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we were talking a minute ago about the new the other theaters joining in residence with um, with NOR, so JAG, Dominican Artists Collective, and um, Safe Harbors, I believe. Safe Harbors, of course. Yep. Yes, Indigenous collection. Yep. They yep. Safe Harbors has been with us a long, long time. Sorry. Right. And doing some interesting work in the past couple of years, some of which has been, of course, digital because yep. of the pandemic. I think we've been having that conversation about digital theater and sort of what we need to make their ecosystem sustainable uh, for a while now, but also something we've been thinking a lot about at AT in the past month or so is just how to reframe that conversation about digital theater and in-person theater so that it's not so much of a, uh, you know, a, a fight, something where one versus the other, it's more about just acknowledging the different forms and what they bring to the table. I think New York Theatre Workshop has definitely had the infrastructure in place to stream productions that are in person. I know you just did that with Sanctuary City, for example, and to pivot, if necessary, pretty quickly. So I'm wondering what your perspective is on that conversation about digital, quote unquote, versus in-person theater, especially. <laughs> given yes, well, I, I, I'm really with you about that not being a fight. Um, mm -hmm. Because that that doesn't feel uh, it seems like a colossal waste of energy that's needed elsewhere to solve problems, not <laughs> make them worse. Um, that said, I think the exciting thing to me about digital theater is how is that? And this is a question that we've been asking ourselves all through the the pandemic, where we were trying to make something with artists. Um, how is it that what when when we wander into uh, outside of making something in a fixed space at a particular time, at a, on a particular day, 
how is it what we do different than uh, content makers like Netflix and you know mm. things? How are we different? How, what is different about it? And what is, and that's the opportunity I think is to see this form, this art form invent itself. And I, I do think it's um, it's not the same thing, and I celebrate that. You know, mm. I celebrate that it's a new form that's being born and just as within theater itself there's new there's different forms and they and they keep reinventing and we abandoned them you know we left vaudeville behind 100 years ago um and we're uh you know we're going forward and it will always do so and i think this is just a a response as human beings do to um changing circumstances that, that we suddenly have technology and the internet and we don't ignore it. The theater world does not ignore it. Mm. All of that said, I think there is, uh, there's just no, for the species that we are, there's no escaping the necessity, the imperative to be in a room together, breathing the same air, um, even if it's like being in a restaurant, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a different, form of it, but a sporting event, a religious thing, a theater, those congregating things are so vital uh, to our, our uh, species. I, I, I don't, and, and I think maybe part of the heat of the conversation about digital versus in real life is um, those of us on the in real life side of things feel our art form survival is threatened. Mm -hmm. Right. And the digital is just burgeoning and growing and going forward. And we don't want this to be extinguished. We want this to be, the, we see the importance, oh, I, let me speak, I feel <laughs> the importance of its being present. Right. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I think when it becomes about people's extinction or, or I think folks on the digital side also feel like, well, we want to, we want to, we want some, some support to, to be part of this the theater world as something different, you know, um, and if they see it as a not extinction, but like never getting their their foot in. And I think also uh, being just a, a sort of stopgap or ad hoc sort of like we need to throw this up online just because we can't right. do we can't meet in person. Obviously, that's you know, that's not what that's not what the New York Theater Workshop right. did. And that's what going right. forward, if digital is part of the, the menu, at theaters and it's part of what they do and we're supporting artists. I mean, the fun, the funny thing about the conversation is I, I feel like people are entering it without realizing video has been part of theater, whether it was being streamed through theater, but like, you know, Evo being just one of the yeah. many people who yeah. use, use theater, yeah. use video, like, you know. That was uh, part of what really drew me to him way back mm -hmm. when is that he was one of the first, well, Worcester Group really was in my yeah. own mind was really the first substantial artistic in, uh, incorporation of this new technology but right, evo right. was doing it in very interesting ways and i was really uh excited about going on that adventure to see where does this go what does this do how does this change this form and expand it jim it's been really you've been really forthcoming and, and open about this i wanted to just ask maybe what seems like a, maybe a tough question but you tell me uh either way I just sort of a two-prong question. What was the most um, challenging thing about this job, the toughest thing, the thing that kept you up at night? And what was the most rewarding thing, the thing that got you up in the morning to like really be excited to do? If you could generalize about those two, like what was the uh, the toughest thing that you're not going to miss and the thing you, you know, that you are happiest about? I think the, 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 the darker side of it, I, I would say, um, the the um the, the struggle to survive um hmm. was was really it's less so now you know now i feel like well maybe we'll be here in a year for sure um hmm. whereas at the beginning of this will we be here tomorrow was was a very real and uh, necessary question you mean um, the, the, the pandemic, not, not 1988? No, 1988. I'm back to. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, back yeah. then, way and, back then. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. 
those questions came back in the pandemic yeah. in a very different way, <laughs> in a different formulation. But I think um, that was that was kind of interesting to see that. I won't go there. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Sure. I have a lot to say. Uh, <laughs> shut up. Um, I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I actually there was a thing. There was a moment during Christina Wong, American mm -hmm. sweatshop, uh, American um, sweatshop overlord, Christina yeah. Wong's piece that we did in the fall, um, which started. We worked with Christina as an instigator in the, uh, you know, in the inst that program in the midst mm -hmm. of the shutdown, and I had run into her years before and had she'd been with us to Dartmouth, our, our summer developmental work at Dartmouth, someone we were excited about in some way, whatever, uh, and the instigator thing was actually a great opportunity for us to really engage with her, and out of that, um, as we were trying to figure out what to do with the fall. Um, and the ever evolving at that, if you remember, like, will we be able to be, and yes. will we not? <laughs> to, to try and make a plan, we thought we need to do small scale things. Mm -hmm. um, and so the thinking of on Sugarland was like after the first of the year when things will be settled. Huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> Christina's solo piece felt like uh, the right scale for mm -hmm. the, the evolution of it. So on a practical level, we were functioning there, but there was something in my gut that said, Christina's story about her response personally to this pandemic in the, in the sort of comic lens that she has as a performer, just innately, there's, there's, I don't know that anybody is better than her in spontaneously being funny. Mm. It's like throws at her, throws something at her and she'll make a joke. That's right. be funny that she would find joy. She would um, she would be a great, if it went well, if it yeah. came together, she could, she had the potential in her work on this project to be a community opportunity to make our way through what we've all experienced the last two years. Right, right, right. Collectively. And it actually happened. And we committed to that in July. It was mm -hmm. not even a script. There was a, <laughs> there was a sort of an idea, and right. there was some writing, but through our residency at Dartmouth and so forth, and Che coming on board, they made something, and it was, uh, and, and as I sat this moment and I saw, oh, this is coming together really well, that I thought this is kind of an amazing theater that was able to take something in six or eight months, and see it through, to be something that actually fulfilled the hopes of intentions. Right. The ambitions so that was that was a moment probably because it was in proximity to my departure uh, <laughs> uh that i felt like this is what i'm gonna miss this is this is the yeah. joy of seeing artists make it happen and mm -hmm. and fulfill it the joyfulness of that um it's going to be hard to find something that will be as meaningful yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, we did have one final question. Someone asked us, it's very, very open-ended and broad one. What do you hope for the future of New York Theatre Workshop? <laughs> uh, well, first, I hope it continues. Yes. Um, that's always got to be, we cannot ever assume those things. Right. Um, Take it for good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hope that the, the board and the board leadership continues to do what they did for me, which was to embrace the journey of an artistic vision. Uh, and that it has evolution and that it transforms from time to time. Um, and it continues to grow. That I hope it doesn't try to chase, oh, well, there's this history and we have certain values and we understand who we are. That I hope they're not imprisoned by that. I hope hmm. whoever comes in goes goes with it throws away whatever doesn't work embraces a new way of being and finds right. new meaning that would be that would be in the spirit of what what you built what you helped to build yeah. um at new york theater workshop jim it has been a total pleasure to talk to you thank you for uh, having me yeah and to look back on and, and look forward i think we're always 
-hmm. these existential questions of the past couple of years have not been always fun to deal with, but I feel like we have to, we have to ask them and, and, and then answer yep. them with our work. So again, thank you so much. Thank you for listening everybody on, on Facebook and, and on the podcast, uh, please support TCG so that we can keep bringing you great journalism and, and these, these, these conversations. Uh, thank you to Amelia and Charlone is our producer. And again, thanks, Jim. I'll see you at the theater. <laughs>